As uh, Dave was mentioning before, uh, we're going through uh, a sermon series looking at different ways for us to share our faith. Uh, we believe here at P's and G's that everyone is called uh, to share their faith. Everyone is called to tell people about Jesus, but that uh, different ones of us will have uh, different natural ways of doing that. We're going to go through five different ways of sharing faith uh, over the next few weeks. Uh, and as we uh, speak on these different um, subjects and ways of sharing our faith, it, it might be that um, one way in particular resonates with you. Uh, you recognize yourself uh, in one particular way of sharing faith. It, it might be in tonight's talk and inviting. It might be um, in the more kind of thoughtful, logical way of sharing your faith. It, it might be in the storytelling um, method of sharing your faith. But our hope is that you uh, start to recognize uh, what's the, the way uh, that comes most naturally for you sharing faith. But as we um, do that, I have a, a slight caution that I want to give you. I don't know about you, but I love to do personality type tests. I love to, to find out as much about myself as possible. I, am, I love a, a kind of pithy box that I can put myself into. Uh, and often I, I pretend that's so I can um, understand myself better and I can be the best version of me that I ever possibly can. But uh, often what happens is that um, rather than that becoming a, a liberating thing that brings me freedom, I, I just kind of typecast myself. So I do a, a test and it tells me that I'm an extrovert. So that means that um, that's my role wherever I go to be uh, loud and a bit gobby and a little bit obnoxious. Uh, and I, I pretend that I never need any time on my own to recharge. And what I, I don't want this sermon series to be uh, is a way for you to box yourself in uh, and decide that, oh, well, the way I share faith is through invitation. Uh, or the way I share faith is through uh, a logical, reasoned approach. Uh, we have to reach a, a wide range of different people, so we need to recognize that we ourselves uh, are complex people, uh, that we might have um, one natural home, one natural method of sharing faith, but uh, we'll also have different ways that complement that and go alongside that. Uh, as well, when we're sharing faith, we don't tell people about Jesus for our benefit. It's not for, for my benefit, but uh, when I tell people about Jesus, I want them to be able to understand uh, if you uh, went on holiday to southern Spain uh, and you tried to um, shout at everyone in uh, English with a Spanish accent, then some people might understand you. Some people might uh, understand what you're trying to say, um, but that's because they can speak English. Some people there will only speak Spanish, and so if you want to communicate to them, uh, you'll need to learn their language. Uh, you'll need to learn how to communicate effectively with them. Uh, as we share faith, uh, we don't want to be saying, well, this is the way that I share faith. My, my style is invitational, and if you need a, a more logical response, you'll need to go somewhere else. But we need to be multilingual. We need to be able to share faith in a way that makes sense to the person in front of us. Uh, so maybe tonight as I talk, you, you recognize and you realize that the way that you tell people about Jesus isn't through invitation. Uh, that probably means that um, we need to pay even more attention to the subject of tonight, so that when we have someone in front of us who is crying out to be invited, we can speak to them in a way that makes sense. Uh, this sermon series isn't about um, putting you in a box so you know uh, the way that you share faith and we can feel um, better about ourselves for doing that, but it's about liberating you so you can speak the language of the people around you. So the people that need um, the kind of big, bold, brassy evangelist to come and uh, shout at them, uh, we're able to do that when we meet them. And the people who need uh, inviting, we can do that. Those who need stories, we're able to speak to them in a way that they can understand. Uh, the purpose of this sermon series is about learning to speak in a way that people can understand. Tonight we're talking uh, about invitation. And I want to um, come at it from two angles tonight. 
Uh, the first uh, is that you have been invited. Uh, you have been invited. And the, the second is that you have been invited so that you can invite others. Uh, as part of our Christian faith, as part of our walk following Jesus, there's a basic rhythm that goes alongside it. It's out of Matthew 10, 8. Freely you have received, so freely you give. Uh, you have received mercy, so show mercy to the people around you. Uh, you've been shown great love, so show love to the people around you. Uh, you have been invited, so invite other people. Uh, let's talk about uh, the fact that you've been invited. Uh, if you're here tonight, uh, you're here because someone somewhere invited you. Someone somewhere invited you. Maybe they uh, invited you along to a church service. Maybe it was this church. Maybe it was another church. Maybe they uh, invited you along to a, a summer camp, an SU camp or a CPS camp. Maybe they uh, invited you into their homes and you read the Bible together and that's how you discovered Jesus. But uh, we're all here tonight because we've been invited uh, you might be in a, uh, from a Christian home, a Christian family, and you might think, oh, well, I was never really invited. Uh, church is this thing that we did as a family. Uh, well, at some point, uh, you decided to come for yourself. Uh, your parents or a friend said, oh, I'm going to church tonight. Do you want to come? And uh, that invitation and that acceptance became real for you. Uh, we're all here because someone took a chance on us. They took a risk and they decided to invite us. Uh, Inviting people can feel risky and exposing. It can feel like a gamble. And when we invite people, we open ourselves up to the opportunity that they might say no. They might decide that we don't want to come. We might make them feel silly. We might make them feel stupid. But, but people took a risk on you so that you could be here tonight. Someone took a, a risk on me when I was uh, 12 years old. I was 12 years old, uh, and the, the church youth group, uh, or the Sunday school, wasn't really what I wanted it to be. I thought that it was um, embarrassing and kind of lame. And looking back, it's the only moment in my life where I've decided that I was too cool for something and actually been bang on. That, 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 that Sunday school was a little bit tragic and a bit embarrassing, and they made me do action songs. And I, I think at 12 years old, I am legitimately too cool for action songs. I think you, you kind of come back round to them, but at 12 years old, that's not cool. That's not what we're doing. But at 12 years old, I decided that I was too cool for action songs, so I wasn't going to go to church on Sunday morning anymore, but I was going to go and play uh, cricket with my sports team. Uh, and that was it, and my, my parents really graciously said, that's, that's fine, you choose when you want to come back to church. You're always welcome, but you go and play cricket with your team. But one, um, one old lady who I've, I've only ever met once in my life uh, heard that story. Uh, and she said, look, I understand, I completely understand why uh, your two sons have made that decision, but let me make you an offer. Uh, why don't you see if they want to go uh, on a CPS camp? CPS is a bit like SU, but for England, basically. Uh, and on those camps, uh, you go kayaking, canoeing, rock climbing. You have the, the best time. It was excellent. Uh, and this... Uh, old woman said, look, if you want, I'll, uh, I'll write checks every year. I will pay for, for um, your two sons, for James and Sam, to go on these church summer camps. Uh, and so uh, between the age of 12 and 16, I hardly set foot in a church. I, I hardly ever went. Uh, but because every year I could go for a week uh, to Patterdale in the Lake District, uh, and I could go and I could jump off uh, rocks, and I could climb things, and I could kayak, and the girls were damn fine. Uh, and I could uh, just have the, the best time, and someone would talk about Jesus. And, and that week uh, was like a, a shot in the arm. It was like a, a booster shot for me. And between the ages of uh, 12 and 16, that's what kept my relationship with God going. But that happened because Marion took a chance. 
She said, look, I'll pay for them. Why don't you see? Why don't you invite James and Sam to go on these church summer camps? See, I wouldn't be here, I don't think, if she'd not taken a risk. If she'd not taken the gamble and invited me. You're here tonight because someone somewhere decided that you were worth the risk. You were worth the gamble. You were worth the rejection. You were worth the possibility that you might say no and make them feel a bit stupid and a bit foolish and a bit reckless, but someone took a gamble and they took a risk on you to invite you. And if you're in this room tonight, that's because you said yes. Jesus tonight in our passage takes a risk, he takes a gamble and he invites Matthew. Now in our passage tonight, Matthew is called Levi. That's complicated. Uh, Matthew uh, is the Matthew who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. He's the one that you've probably heard of. Um, But back in those days, they had uh, a Greek and a Hebrew name. Uh, And Matthew's Greek name was Levi. So that's why it's called Levi in the passage. But for the purpose of tonight, um, Levi is called Matthew because that's the name that we all know Matthew by. So we'll substitute Matthew for Levi. But uh, in our um, our passage tonight, uh, Jesus takes a a risk and he takes a gamble. Uh, uh, Luke uh, 6, 27 to 28 says... After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything he had and followed him. Matthew left everything he had and followed him. Uh, Jesus is inviting Matthew to come and follow him, uh, to come and um, be discipled by him, to come and enter into a, a relationship with him. But Jesus shouldn't be inviting Matthew. Jesus shouldn't be inviting Matthew at all because uh, Matthew is a a bit of a con man. Uh, Matthew's an extortionist. Uh, Matthew rips people off. He's a tax collector. And if you were a tax collector, then that meant that you were the lowest of the low. Uh, That meant that you were right at the bottom of society, that you were hated, that you were despised, that you were reviled, that probably even your own mother was embarrassed by you because uh, you were despicable. Tax collectors made their money by ripping off people who were vulnerable, by taking the money of the poor and making themselves rich. Tax collectors were very, very rich. And tax collectors, what they would do is they would pay the Roman Empire for the privilege of collecting taxes. They would pay a set fee and that set fee would enable them to go and collect taxes. And of those taxes, they would have to give some of them to the Roman Empire, but some they could keep for themselves as well. So what they would do is they would fiddle the sums and tweak the books and they would demand more money than they were owed from people. And they would then keep the extra. They would keep the surplus. Uh, With the money they were giving the Roman Empire, they were propping up an oppressive regime. And as they propped up that oppressive regime, they would, uh, with the other hand, try and take and steal as much from other people. Uh, They would try and extort as much money as they could. These people were not good people. They had questionable character. They were rejected by society and with good reason in lots of counts. And yet Jesus calls Matthew... And as uh, Jesus calls Matthew, there's a, another group in there, I stood behind them, they're called the Pharisees. And while I don't like Matthew an awful lot, I have a lot more time for the Pharisees because I, I can relate better to them. I can understand the Pharisees a little bit better because uh, the Pharisees are all about uh, doing what it takes to be in a right relationship with God. They're all about trying to stay pure. They're all about trying to stay holy. And so what they did is they created a, a code, a code of conduct, a system of rules that would help them to stay in the right relationship with God. And they thought that if we can just keep these rules, if we can keep this code of conduct, then we'll be uh, righteous and pure before God. If we can behave like we're meant to behave, 
behave, then our relationship with God will work. I can relate to some of that. And if I was Jesus, then I, I wouldn't pick Matthew in front of me, the extortionist, the tax collector, the one who's hated and reviled. I would pick one of the Pharisees. Because you can guarantee a Pharisee will kill a party wherever you take them, but they're very, very dependable. You know what you get with a Pharisee? They're, they're reliable. You can build your ministry. You can build your house on a Pharisee because with a Pharisee, what you see is what you get. But Matthew, at face value, is all about deception. He's all about trying to take and steal as much from other people. Matthew is not to be trusted. Jesus should not be calling Matthew at all. But the problem is, is that we don't get to pick the people that Jesus calls. We don't get to pick the people that Jesus invites. So what I want to say, I want to pick the people that I can trust, those that I can depend on. Jesus says, no, no, it's not actually about how well you can behave. It's not about how good you can make yourself, about how holy you can become. But it's about the potential of the person in front of me. And it's, it's about the fact that I love them, regardless of who they are, regardless of what they've done. Jesus calls Matthew to come and follow him, not because Matthew has any redeeming feature about him other than that Jesus loves him. We have all been invited. We have all been invited into relationship with Jesus, not because like the Pharisees, we have any redeeming feature about us, not because we think we can behave the way that we should be behaving, but because like Matthew, we we have no redeeming feature, but God loves us. God loves us and by grace he draws us into relationship with him. He invites us freely. But there's a a response that we're each called to make. The first response is to accept the invitation, but then uh, Matthew goes on to the next part. Jesus says, come follow me. And Matthew gets up. Matthew accepts the invitation, but it's the next bit that's trickier. Matthew leaves everything behind. Matthew leaves everything behind. Jesus says, come follow me. And he gets up. He accepts the invitation, but then he leaves everything behind. His old ways, his old ways of living, his old way of making money, his old way of engaging with people, where it was all about trying to rip them off, trying to get as much out of people as he possibly could. Matthew rejects that because he knows it's no longer compatible with the person he's been called to be. It's no longer compatible with the relationship that God's calling him into. Tonight I want to ask you, do you know that you've been invited? But as you know you've been invited, have you made the decision to leave everything behind? Uh, Have you decided to to leave behind all the old sins that you used to love? Are you left behind your old patterns of behavior, your old uh, pride, the old ways you used to use to elevate yourself above people so you could feel a bit smugger about yourself and a bit more content and you could look down on other people? Have you left those behind? Have you left behind your old insecurities uh, where you don't view yourself uh, quite like God views you? You don't recognize yourself as as lovable as God views you as being? Uh, Are you leaving behind your old ways of living? Have you left it all behind tonight? Uh, Or have you let Jesus just be uh, some kind of tack on the side, some kind of accompaniment? Uh, Have you allowed him to be segregated and and boxed off? Uh, Or have you done what Matthew did and given up everything to follow Jesus? I, I don't believe that we live in a society that's done with Jesus. I don't believe that we live in a society that's done with Jesus. I think that we, we live in a society that's done with people being hypocritical. Uh, we're saying, oh, well, this is the way that people should live. This is the set of rules. This is the code of conduct. People living like the Pharisees, you say, this is the way that you're meant to behave. But, but you meet them and it hasn't transformed the way that they're living. 
I think we're, we live in a society that's done with hypocrites. We don't live in a society that's done with people who are full of mercy, and who are full of love, who are full of kindness and grace and compassion. You see, we believe in a God who is all those things. And as Matthew 10.8 says, we've received freely, so we give freely. As we meet with a God of love and kindness and compassion, that's what we're called to demonstrate to the people around us. I don't think we live in a society that's done with Jesus I think we live in a society that's done with uh, people who believe in Jesus, but it's not changing the way that they live. Uh, tonight, have you given up everything? Uh, following Jesus is free. It costs you nothing, but it, it's going to demand everything that you have. Uh, there's a, a man called uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer who puts it uh, beautifully. He says this. He says, costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. The gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock, such grace is costly because it causes to follow. And it's grace because it causes to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a man his life. And it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it's costly because it costs God the life of his son. For you were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Costly grace is God come down onto earth to take our place, to take our punishment so that we could be in a relationship with him. You see, Jesus invites all of us here tonight into relationship with him. Maybe you're uh, here and you've not made a, a decision to follow Jesus. Um, you're here because a, a friend brought you or what have you. There's an invitation for you tonight to come and get to know Jesus better, to come and decide that you want to make that decision, take that step. Maybe you're here tonight and you've already made that decision to follow Jesus, but uh, you've not recognized that that's a costly decision for you. Uh, that it's not um, without implications for the way that you live your life. There's a call for you to give up everything that you have. A space for you tonight to decide to do that. Uh, maybe your heart's grown a bit distant and a bit cold and you need to come back and to recommit and decide, no, no, Jesus is actually worth everything that I have. Because you've been invited. You've been invited into a relationship with God. And as we're invited into a relationship with God, we're called to invite others. Uh, Matthew gives up uh, everything that he has to follow. And the, the next thing that Matthew does is he invites everyone that he knows. Uh, Matthew invites everyone that he knows. He invites his whole community to come and meet Jesus. Uh, he recognizes that he's been invited uh, and so he extends that invitation out to everyone that he knows. It's interesting to me that uh, Matthew invites all of his tax collector friends. All of his tax collector friends. Uh, when Matthew uh, decides to follow Jesus, he doesn't cut himself off from his community. Uh, he doesn't try and uh, build a wall, build a, a barrier. But he recognizes that the people uh, that he's friends with need to know Jesus. Uh, maybe when you uh, decided to follow Jesus, you cut yourself off from your old community, from your old friends. Uh, that's not necessarily what we're called to do. Uh, there are some situations where that's uh, helpful and beneficial, but, but for the majority of cases, uh, we're called to go back uh, to the people that we already know and to invite them into a relationship with Jesus. And that's what Matthew does. 
Uh, Matthew uh, goes and he throws a party. The passage goes on to say, uh, Then Matthew held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors were eating with them. Uh, Matthew invites his friends into his home. Uh, He invites everyone that he knows to to come and to celebrate with him, and he he invites Jesus along. Uh, uh, Matthew's throwing a party in honor of Jesus. Now, it might not be... um, culturally appropriate or sensible for you uh, to throw a party celebrating Jesus and invite all of your work colleagues along. Um, what I think Matthew is doing that we can learn from here, unless if you can get the kind of flesh and bones body of Jesus in the room at the party, then I wholeheartedly endorse that. You should invite me, let me know who your party planner is. Um, but what I think that Matthew's doing here that's interesting uh, is he's inviting uh, all of his uh, friends uh, into a space where Jesus is. In other words, he's creating a space where depth of relationship and faith can intermingle. He's inviting them into a space where depth of relationship and faith can intermingle. He's not drawing barriers. He's not keeping his faith and his work life separate or anything like that. But he's creating a space where there's depth of relationship and faith on the table for discussion. He's entering people. And he's inviting people into a, a space where they can uh, question him about his faith and he can ask questions about theirs. He's inviting them into a, a dialogue about what it is. Uh, inviting uh, is important because it creates space for relationships to go a, a little bit deeper. Uh, inviting is important because it uh, creates space for relationships to go a, a little bit deeper. Uh, when we invite, what we're really saying is, I want to spend time with you. I want you to come to this thing. Uh, And that's one of the reasons that uh, inviting people can often feel a bit nervy and a bit anxious because we're saying, come to this thing, come and get to know me, come to my home, come to this alpha course, come to this whatever. And as we do that, we run the risk that they might reject us and they might turn us down and that might hurt and that might sting a little bit. But when we uh, invite people, uh, we're opening uh, up the possibility that they might be interested in this thing that we're interested in. When we're um, talking about inviting, I wonder if some of your minds immediately run to the thing that church runs that you can invite people into. Uh, Maybe uh, you immediately run to and think about the Alpha course that we're going to run, or you think about the the manifesto event or the carol service or what have you, Uh, and those are really brilliant things to invite people along to. Uh, They're they're fantastic, but often we allow that to be the extent of our invitation. Uh, We say, come to this thing that church is running, this thing that happens over here, when actually uh, what Matthew does is he invites people into his space and into his life. Uh, He invites them into deeper relationship with them, and he he speaks about the transformation that's happened in him. I want to encourage you to invite people into your life, to invite people into a deeper relationship with you, to to take the risk to be vulnerable, to say, uh, come and get to know me because I, I want to know you. Uh, and when we do that and we invest in that relationship, that's when an invite to something like Alpha makes sense. That's when an invite to um, something like a manifesto event makes sense or a carol service makes sense because uh, we've already uh, built up a relationship. We've already spent time getting to know each other, uh, working on uh, who they are and what they like to do. And we, uh, we're starting to build that depth of relationship that then means they're much more likely to say yes to an Alpha invite. When we talk about inviting people to things, often we think that uh, church events are the whole, um, the whole picture. The reality is that they are a small part of the jigsaw. They're a small part of the puzzle. You're called to invite people into your life, uh, to get to know them and to build relationship with them. That's what uh, Matthew is doing. Uh, and when you uh, invite people into your life, you invite them into a deeper relationship with them, with you. Uh, maybe you uh, invite them to a, a pub, the coffee shop, 
uh, you invite them into a, a context that makes sense for them. One of, the, uh, one of the things that I like to do is I like to invite people around for dinner. Um, and one of the things that I've, um, I've observed about inviting people around for dinner uh, is there might be like a generational mismatch with some of this. So I remember um, growing up, uh, and my, uh, my parents would have people around for tea, uh, tea because we're northern, uh, and they would invite people around for tea. Uh, and what that would mean for them uh, is that would be an occasion. It would, be, um, it would feel like a state occasion. And my, uh, my dad would put his penny on and he would clean the whole house. Uh, and my mum would um, cook a, a delicious meal. Uh, she would always do a pudding. And if she really liked you, you would probably get a starter out of my mum. Um, and, if, uh, and if people were coming, she would put on a slightly smarter shirt. Uh, or dad, well, dad, mum would, well, I don't mum would wear, but dad would wear a slightly smarter shirt. Um, and it would feel like a bit of an occasion and a bit of an event. Uh, and there was a kind of a degree of formality around it. Uh, and that's fantastic. That's, that's brilliant. That was uh, my mum and dad's way uh, of honouring and putting value on the people that are coming. Maybe uh, the thing that you want to do is you want to throw dinner parties uh, and you want to make your, your dining room look fabulous and you want to cook the best food that you know how to cook. When I invite you around for tea, that's not what I am doing. I'm inviting you around for tea and me and Alice are inviting you around for tea because we have made a decision to eat three meals a day. I am committed for the rest of my life to eating breakfast, lunch and tea. And if I'm eating breakfast and lunch, uh, and I'm inviting you around to have tea with me, that's because I've already made that commitment, and as I'm eating, you might as well come anyway. Uh, And when we have tea, that probably means that I've already decided what we were going to eat anyway. Uh, And you are coming to eat the thing that we have already decided. Uh, My parents would put on something smart. I might might change. If I change, it's probably to make myself more casual, uh, rather than to make myself smarter so that you will like me more. That's not what uh, this is about. We might, um, we might clean the flat. We probably won't. The one thing I can guarantee um, is that I will brush the floor. Brushing the floor um, is about me being anal, about the floor being clean, and not about you being in my flat. It says nothing about our relationship and nothing about who you are. You see, when we uh, invite people around into our space, it doesn't have to be a huge event. It doesn't have to be a, a big um, state occasion, but it can simply be, well, I'm having dinner, and as I'm having dinner, why don't you also have dinner with me? If you were planning on having potato waffles and fried eggs on Tuesday night, invite someone round to eat potato waffles and fried eggs on Tuesday night. That is a perfectly fine, adequate meal. Uh, Having people um, into our space isn't about the quality of thing that we can provide. When we invite people into sharing life with us and to getting to know us, uh, they're not coming because they think, oh, you might wear a slightly nicer shirt than you normally do, and you might cook me a better meal than you normally seem to eat. They're coming because they want to know you because they want to build a relationship with you, because uh, they're interested in the the connection, the friendship that there seems to be between the two of you. Uh, We want to to get better at inviting people, not just to church events and to things like Alpha, but uh, into the stuff of our lives. That's what Matthew's doing. Matthew uh, throws a party. Maybe Matthew loves to do that. He loves to throw huge celebrations. He loves to cook the fatted calf or whatever they did in those days. But, but it doesn't have to be like that. It can be the really simple, mundane, everyday. You're having dinner, so why not invite someone to come and have dinner with you? Maybe you don't eat dinner. Maybe you only eat lunch. Invite someone to come and have lunch with you. Whatever it is that makes sense. If you have friends and you think, oh, their natural environment is in the pub, we'll go and buy them a pint in the pub. If the thing that your mates love to do is they love to go and play five-a-side, we'll, we'll go and play five-a-side. I'm terrible at football, but the thing that we had to do for Josh's birthday was play football. 
So I played football. We don't have to do things that we um, necessarily are good at or we love to do, but, but we're trying to build relationships with people, and we do it in a context and a way that's most appropriate and comfortable for each of them. And as we uh, invite people into our lives and we invite them to stuff that's going on at church, um, I want us to be unapologetic about it. I want us to be unapologetic. Often, I think, particularly with the, the kind of church end of stuff, uh, when, when we invite people to church, we say, oh, would you like to come to church with me this Sunday? It's going to be a bit weird. And they're going to sing some slightly dodgy songs. It, it's great, but like, for lots of people, it's a bit dodgy, isn't it? Um, we're going to sing some slightly dodgy songs. And someone's probably going to ramble on for a little bit too long. Um, and it's going to be a bit weird and a bit awkward, but maybe you'll find something. You don't need to do that. You're not called to apologize for church because what you're doing is you're saying, come to church and maybe you might meet Jesus. And the thing is, we don't need to apologize for Jesus. They might come and not totally like the thing that we do, but I don't care if they, they don't like the songs that we sing. What, what I want to know is, are they coming and they're going to meet with Jesus? And if my concern is that they're going to meet with Jesus, then I don't need to apologize. The service could be weird. Dave could make a reference to third century Trinity heresies in the first 30 seconds, which is... Even I don't. Like, that's, a, that's a niche opening, isn't it? I, 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 I've never... Has anyone else done that? Like, literally never. But Dave, he, he goes for that kind of stuff. And maybe one of you... Hit, not trying to defend anything, but we're saying, uh, come and experience this thing. Uh, tonight, I want you to know that you have been invited. That you're, you're here tonight because someone took a risk, they took a gamble, they took a punt on you. Uh, and when you were here, maybe you responded to the invitation that Jesus had for you. And uh, maybe you uh, felt him say, come follow me. You heard him draw you into a relationship. Maybe you're here tonight and, and you've not made that decision. You've not taken that step. There's a, a space for you in a couple of moments when uh, Dave comes and leads the response for you to do that. Uh, maybe you've decided to follow Jesus, but what you've not done is the next bit that Matthew does where he says, I'm leaving everything behind. Nothing's going to hold me back. I'm going to live without restraint. The old things that I used to love, my old way of making money, everything about my life now needs to be different. Maybe you need to make that decision that, that you're going to um, live as though nothing is holding you back. You've left everything behind for Jesus. And as you do that and you recognize that you've been invited, you're called to invite other people, to invite them in to experience uh, what you've experienced, to meet with the God that you've met with. Uh, invite them into sharing your life with you. Uh, whether that's to the pub, to play cricket or whatever, or into your homes, you're called to share your every day with people and to try and... It's good when your wife yawns really loudly as you wrap up. As you, um, as you, you invite them into your every day. Uh, you invite them into a, a deeper relationship with you where, where faith is a thing that you talk about, where you engage them with that. Uh, and as you do that, you open up the possibility that, that they might be interested in Jesus. And you don't need to apologize for that. You're not called to defend it. You don't need to give them loads of get-out clauses for where they, they might not want to come because we believe that Jesus is worth giving up everything for, don't we? Uh, we believe that uh, he's, he's worth it. He'll cost us everything that we have, but it's the best decision that we'll ever make. So, so we don't need to be apologetic for it at all. Amen.